Lakeside, you are at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. Uh, we gather every Sabbath morning for one reason and one reason only, and that's to lift high the name of Jesus. And so welcome to worship today. I want to begin today with some really, really good news, and that is as of our session meeting on Wednesday night, uh, the session has decided to go forward. Uh, meeting together again starting May the 31st at 10 a.m. And, and listen, I can't wait, so that's, that's just a couple weeks away. We're going to get together outside. We're going to meet in the, in the lawn. It's right out here in front of the Fellowship Center, right beside the sanctuary. Uh, we've got picnic tables. We've got like 15, 16 new picnic tables up there. You can sit together as a family at a picnic table for the worship service, or you can bring your own lawn chair and sit out there, and you, we can, we can sc scatter as far back as we need to. And we're also going to try to have an FM transmitter set up so that if you'd like to come and stay in your car the whole time and just stay socially distant, keep the windows rolled up, you can do so and you could hear the sermon through your radio as well. Uh, so we're really excited about that. It's going to be a 10 o'clock worship service, May the 31st. I know the question that everybody asks is, what if it rains? Well, if it rains, uh, we're probably going to just allow people to still come up here in their cars and, and listen and be around. And, and if we can figure out a way to get out of the rain and preach the sermon, sermon somewhere on the porch. We will. If we have to come in here, we'll do it in here. But that is good news. And we're on track to, to healing and being together again and becoming healthy again. And I, I'm so looking forward to it. Um, there's a lot of work that actually has to be done uh, to get the church ready and looking good and, and prepared for us to worship again. And there's a lot of you at home with spare time. We're putting together a, a group of people who like to do kind of odd jobs together and, 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 and just kind of want to get out of the house and, and be busy. If you feel comfortable being out and working outside or with groups of people, uh, we're going to send an email out this week and an opportunity for you to sign up and be part of serving in that manner. So look for that. Uh, so now let's be called to worship and let's do so the way we always do together uh, with uh, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to Also, good morning, Lakeside. It is good news that we're going to start meeting together. Um, uh, one other thing uh, that we, we do want to know, we're, we're, the session has allowed um, small gatherings to sound meet, start meeting on the campus. Um, we, we do ask that you, you sort of keep with the social distancing uh, guidelines, the social uh, safety guidelines, um, 10 indoors, um, 20 outdoors. And, um, and, and again, stay, just sort of do your best to do, obey all the, uh, all the, all the safety um, uh, policies. Um, if that's something your, your group is going to want to meet, uh, a small group of some sort, um, please contact the office so we can, uh, you know, set aside the room. And, and, and then when you're done with that, we will make sure someone goes through it and, and does all the cleaning and stuff. We're going to do everything we can uh, to make sure everything is absolutely as safe as possible. So it's exciting. Um, things are kind of coming back online, uh, both in the Church of God uh, throughout, uh, in, in their organized worship throughout our country, and also just as a, as a, as a culture. And so please um, keep this, all of this um, in your prayers. Um, the psalmist says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray together. Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Chosen in him, we hope in him, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. 
Our prayer this day is that according to the great love with which you love us, teach us to love one another. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Strengthen us to walk in them. We have been born again by your spirit from above. Grace us to be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as you in Christ have forgiven us. We are a new creation clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Help us to put off the old self which belongs to the old creation and put on the new self created in the image and the likeness of God. Father, in your mercy, make us merciful in all things. Let the grace that is so liberating to us permeate everything we do. Let us delight in your word and never find your commandments burdensome. We ask these things in the name of our King, he who you set on your holy hill, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Church, Isaiah the prophet says, Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion. In Jerusalem you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Prepare your hearts to hear the word of the teacher. Well, good morning, friends. Uh, we're back together again. And I, you know, I wonder if, uh, if you're like me, if you listen differently to sermons when you're at home on your couch than you do uh, when you're here in the pews with your friends. Uh, and maybe it's just the way we, we watch TV or we do anything anymore, and we kind of have this nature to multitask. And so uh, I, I've noticed that sometimes when, when the sermon's on at our house or when we're gathered around worship, we would take our devices out and we would be multitasking, reading Facebook or something like that while we're trying to listen to the sermon in the background. When we, we, we don't do that at church, uh, I want to encourage you now to remove distractions. Um, not because my words are important, but because the word of the Lord is important. And we believe that this is the word of the Lord when we gather around the scripture and we come to know it together. And last week when we were together, we read of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And if you kind of just remember a little bit of the story, uh, John the Baptist is, has been beheaded. Jesus finds us out. Uh, the ministry of Jesus and his disciples is so overwhelming. They don't even have time to stop and eat. And they decide they need to be away from the crowd. They, they get, try to get away. They jump in the boat. Uh, they, they go across the, the northern uh, coast of the Sea of Galilee. And for some reason, the crowd chases after them. When they land, the crowd's there waiting for them. And they decide out of great compassion, Jesus does. He decides that he's going to feed this crowd. And, and so what we looked at, we said that last week that as, as we picked up, that it's kind of like an old family picture. 
We know it really well, but when we read stories like that of Jesus, even though it's real familiar to us, we are reminded what we love about Jesus. And last week we saw his compassion and we were like, man, Jesus' compassion is so great that even in the midst of just kind of personal heartache and burnout, he's able to be there and love people well. And I want to continue with that story today. Um, I, I don't know if, if, if you have got a chance to look at the timeline of the feeding of the 5,000 very well. But as I was reading about it, uh, what I re- recognized that this, this entire miracle happens late in the afternoon, early in the evening. And, and I don't know why, but I always had this kind of as a midday thing in my mind that, that there'd be people sitting out at behind noon and Jesus would be feeding them. Actually, Mark's gospel says the disciples uh, wanted to send people away to the towns to eat because the hour was late. So it's, it's getting late in, in the day. Maybe the sun's beginning to set. But instead of sending them away, Jesus decides he's going to feed them. And what I want to look at now is what happens after Jesus feeds the 5,000. After, after the, the crowd sees that Jesus is literally able just to create food and just keep distributing it, they really lose their minds. They, they kind of go crazy. And at first they're satisfied, but then Scripture says that the crowd decides that they're going to they're gonna take Jesus by force and they're going to make him be their king. Well, good luck with that. You know, Jesus is, is God incarnate. He knows what they're thinking. And Jesus didn't come for a violent revolt, right? I mean, if, if you know the, the ministry of Jesus, he came to lay his life down. Uh, so two things happen now in our story after Jesus has fed the 5,000. Uh, the first thing is this. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's look in the scripture. Let's examine it together. First scripture I want to look at is Mark six forty five. And so if we can put that up. It says this, uh, and this is right after Jesus fed the 5,000, that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, uh, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus uh, and the disciples uh, are, are in Bethsaida in the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is going to send them to Capernaum now. And that's in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, and that's about a seven-mile journey. And what's happening is that all through this story, so the Sea of Galilee is probably uh, 14 miles or so uh, tall, and it's about seven miles wide. And all through the story, they're in the very north of the Sea of Galilee, and they're bouncing back and forth from the, from, the, uh, from the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee to the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee by boat, and the crowds kind of follow them all the time. And uh, you may not have ever noticed this before, but what we read in Mark 6.45, and if we can just kind of put that back up for a second, because I want to I make a point here. It says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. He didn't ask them to or request them to or instruct them, but, but the, he, he makes them get in the boat. That, and it's actually pretty strong language when you look in the Greek about what that word made means. Sometimes in the New Testament, we see that same word translated as, as that he compelled them to. And sometimes uh, it says that he makes somebody do something. And sometimes it even says that you would force somebody to do something. And so when we get this image of what Jesus is doing to the disciples when he sends them off in the water, is that he's really forcing them and making them go in the boat to Capernaum I mean, imagine, if you will, that that Jesus is telling the disciples, listen, it's time for you guys to go. He said, get in the boat, Peter. Uh, Hurry up. Don't forget your stuff. And and maybe the disciples say to him, hey, Jesus, we don't want to go. We want to stay with you. But both the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Matthew say very clearly that Jesus made them or forced them to get in the boat and go. 
I haven't even sat down on the boat yet. Jesus is there. He's, he's kicking them off into the water. He says, hey, have a nice trip. Uh, get going, boys. And that seems to be kind of what's happening here. I've never read that that way before until I kind of started getting into it this week. Scripture then seems to say that Jesus goes back and he, he's going to disappear from the crowd. And, and before he does, uh, Mark's gospel tells us that he dismisses the crowd. And I'm not sure what that looks like or why he didn't want the disciples there for that. But Jesus sends that crowd away. And as we continue to read in Matthew and Mark's gospel, we read that, uh, that after this crowd is sent away, that Jesus is going to go up on the mountaintop and he's going to pray with his father. And, and that's really a, an amazing testimony to, to Jesus' heart is that he needs to be together with the father and pray. And if Jesus needs it, don't we? And so he, he sends everybody away, sends the disciples away. He sends the crowd away and he's up on the mountaintop and he's going to pray. And so what I want to do now is I want to pick up our reading from there. We're going to be in John chapter six. We've been kind of teaching through a series called the book of signs. And it's the first half of the gospel of John and it's called the book of signs because there's a series of seven supernatural signs of Jesus, miracles of Jesus that we've been reading through. This will be the fifth week and the miracle is Jesus walking on water. And I want to talk about that and read through that and teach through that today. Uh, So let's go to scripture together. And before we do, uh, let's have a word of prayer. We're going to be reading John 6, 14 through 21. Pray with me. God, you're good. You give us your word. We feed upon it today, God. Uh, We want to subject our lives to it today. We want to understand more about Jesus as we come to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Hear now the word of the Lord beginning in John uh, 6, 14. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, indeed, the prophet who has come into the world Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed three or four miles... They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him onto the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The crowd is, they're disappointed. Uh, They aren't getting the king they want, right? And uh, truth be told, the disciples are probably disappointed too. They they probably can't quite figure out why Jesus didn't seize on this momentum of the crowd going, it's time to make you king. Instead, Jesus dismisses the crowd. He forced his disciples uh, onto a boat towards Capernaum. While Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray, uh, the disciples sell off into the dark. And, and here's what the gospel uh, of John, we're going to read 6, 16 through 8, it says, happens next. It says that uh, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across uh, the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. 
Now, now John doesn't mention a lot of details that we get in either Matthew or Mark. We don't, uh, they don't include details about Jesus dismissing the crowd. Uh, we don't have anything about Jesus making the disciples get onto the boat. It, John's gospel doesn't even tell us that Jesus went up on uh, the mountain to pray. It's, it's kind of an abbreviated version of this story. But we can use some of the details we get from other gospels to begin to paint a full picture of this story. The disciples sail off into the dark night. And according to Matthew and Mark, we read uh, that the wind was against these disciples. Now, what do you think that means? That the wind was against them. It means that as they were rowing towards Capernaum, uh, and that's very much the direction that Jesus had sent them to go and made them go, that on their way, they encountered a storm that was moving in the opposite direction. And uh, now... You know, I've never tried to do this before, but I don't imagine it's a good idea to try to paddle a boat into a storm moving in the opposite direction. I imagine that that's a quite difficult task. I want to share with you another kind of photo from my office. Uh, this, uh, this is a picture of, of me in a different life. Uh, for about two years, right after Kimmy and I got married, we moved to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And I did youth ministry there on the beach and worked with teenagers a lot. So I kind of did what you would do if you were going to work with teenagers in Myrtle Beach. I, I learned to surf. And uh, I, I was sharing that with some people this morning. They said, listen, you just don't strike us as a guy who would surf. Uh, we, we see you with boots on all the time. You're kind of a guy who wears boots. You're not a guy who, who, who wears a surfboard or carries a surfboard. But trust me, that's me. And, and you, you see this really long surfboard. And it, it's partly because... Uh, there on the East Coast, the waves aren't that big. And so you have to, to, to be able to surf them. You have to have a really long board. And, and so uh, we would, would take that board. And, and the experience that's kind of burnt in my mind is that the hardest part about surfing for me was getting out to the space in the water where you would catch your wave. So you would, you would get the, the board and, and you would start out and you would lay on your belly and you would paddle and kick a little bit to try to get through the waves. And you'd go, the waves would be coming this way and you'd be trying to go over them. If you have one of those little boards, uh, you're able to kind of duck under the waves. But with these big boards, you had to kind of go over the waves and, and it would knock you around. And it was so hard. And, and I can remember paddling against the current. And I can remember going for like 10 minutes and feeling like I only moved six or seven feet. And it taking me 30 minutes sometimes to get out to where we could catch waves. Um, and and if, you, if you stop just for a second to kind of catch your breath, the, the, the current would pull you back. It felt like 15, 20 feet. It, it, was, it was really hard. And I want to suggest to you that that's a situation here for the disciples. That the wind and the waves from the storm are making it almost impossible for them to make any momentum towards their destination. They're making no progress. Mark's gospel actually says that they were making headway painfully. <laughs> uh, have you ever been in a situation like that? Uh, I don't know, the lazy river at one of the water parks where you try to move upstream or maybe you've gone uh, on the Okotoma and you've tried to move the wrong way of the current and it is hard to move against the current. And so what we understand when the wind is against the disciples that the storm and the current and the surge, it's all moving against them and they're having a hard time moving. And not only was it just a strong current, but you've got waves too from the storm that are, that are making it not just exhausting, but dangerous and frustrating and scary. And scripture says that this happens during the fourth watch of the night. I don't know what you know about the fourth watch of the night, but it, it, it's the darkest time of the night. It's, it's usually considered 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And, and it, that is not where I want to be 
in the, in the fourth watch of the night from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. The only place I ever want to be is in my bed. Uh, but here they are. They found themselves uh, in this situation. And so here's the question I want to ask you. I want you to think through. Why are the disciples in this position? Right? Why do they find themselves here 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, rowing against a storm in the middle of the night? Exhausted and dangerous. And here's what I want to suggest. They find themselves in this situation because they pointed their boat in the direction that Jesus told them to go. I mean, that's it. They find themselves in this direction because Jesus sent them. Jesus made them go. And they're obedient and they're following him. They wouldn't be in danger if they had just disobeyed Jesus. It's because they were obedient to Christ that they now, that they now find themselves in this peril. And it's almost counterintuitive, right? How, how can this be? And here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest that those of us who follow Jesus are told to, by Jesus to go to different places and Jesus sends us into his world to be salt and to be light. And we try to listen well and we try to discern where his spirit sends us as we go out into the world. And those of us who know Jesus is Lord, we point our boats in the direction where we sense Jesus is sending us. That's the metaphor. Jesus says, go and do this or go and do that. And you point your boat where Jesus is calling you to go and live. And all of a sudden, you're sailing right into the middle of the winds of life. Have you ever felt that way before? Like uh, Jesus has called you to do something. When you're obedient to that calling, you go. All of a sudden, you get pushed back. You get the winds of life kind of coming at your face. And, and see, some people have this idea uh, maybe someone told you that when you follow Jesus, everything's going to be easy. But, but I want to suggest to you that that's not what the Bible says. That, uh, that's not in the Bible. Uh, because the Bible shows us that when the disciples went where Jesus sent them, they run into a storm going the opposite direction. The Bible says that when God sent Moses to go out and lead the people out of Egypt, that he found himself in a situation with thousands of ungrateful Israelites. That when Daniel followed uh, God's direction for his life, that he found himself in the lion's den. Over and over again, we find that sometimes uh, when God sends you places, you face the storms of life. It seems like when, when God uh, tells you where to go in life and you get a sense of calling of God says go here or go there in your life, that you have one or two choices. Uh, you can either point your boat in the opposite direction and, and if you do that, you remember the story of Jonah, right? He tries to run from Nineveh. He gets swallowed by a well, spit up on the shores there. So we know how that ends up. Or you can point your boat in the direction where Jesus calls you and you can just buckle your seatbelt and when the storm comes, you can know that you're right where Jesus ordained you to be. Hmm. And you can trust that, uh, that God ordains the storms of life. Do you trust that? Do you, do you trust that God ordains the storms of life for whatever purposes he desires? Uh, when Cami and I were trying to discern where we were going to go to seminary, uh, it, it, it was kind of an interesting season in our life. We had, we had two kids, and uh, I had a job that paid. And uh, I was saying to Cammie, how about I quit my job and we move across the country and you support our family? Doesn't that sound like fun? And she wasn't really at first excited and knowing how to sense that. And, and, and so we kept kind of stalling. When are we going to do this? When are, but I felt God calling. I really felt God saying, listen, this is the direction for your life. And so I was trying to point our boat in that direction. 
And we had to just kind of set a date. Okay, in one year we're going to go to seminary. We let the church I was working at know we were going to be doing that. And we had to try to discern where now, which seminary God is calling us to. And there, and there were a lot of good ones that, that would have probably uh, fed our needs, met our needs, and, and been good faithful seminaries. And uh, we, we attended a, a weekend at Princeton Theological. And when we were there, um, all I can say is, is we felt Jesus pointing us towards there. There were a lot of things lined up in our hearts and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of things felt right for us. We even said this. We said, listen, we feel that God is, is calling us to be here. And we felt the same thing actually when God called us to come and pastor Lakeside. It's like there was just an assurance in our heart uh, that, that this is where the Lord was calling us to be. We just knew. There, uh, we said it out loud. We said, this is it. We talked about that. This is where God is calling us. After our first year in seminary uh, at Princeton, my best friend left. And I was there kind of without him. And it was, a, it was a tough time. He left because he and I were, were two of only a handful of conservative evangelicals in the whole school. And it was clear to us that, that our way of thinking about God and our way of thinking about Scripture didn't really fit in very well. Uh, we were, in all, for all intents and purposes, sailing into the wind, sailing into the storm. We had, Jesus had sent us somewhere, we thought, and we had a headwind. And now with this guy gone, there was one less guy on the oars that felt like paddling with me. I, I kind of felt stuck. But I want to tell you this. The funny thing was this. Even though there were tough times there, it was, it was certainly tough times for us. Cammie and I both knew that we were still pointed in the direction where Christ had called us or sent us to go. The gospel of John says the disciples were about, it says they were about three to four miles in their journey. And we, we think about that total journey as, as we look at the two points on the map there as, as it being about seven miles. So they're just about the halfway point if they're three to four miles in on a seven mile journey. And they're in the midst of the storm. They're in trouble. And here's what Mark 6:48 says, right? We'll put it up there. Jesus was still on the land and, and the disciples were, were out on the water. And, and Mark 6.48 says, He saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And, and I love this part. Jesus is on the land. It's dark. There's a storm. Uh, I don't know how Jesus saw the disciples. I mean, how did he do this? Uh, maybe he's still up on the mountain praying. I don't know. Did Jesus see their boat in the moonlight? Doubtful, three to four miles away in a storm. Did he see them in the flash of lightning? Doubtful. Probably Jesus just sees them in his omniscient mind. I mean, really, we're talking about Jesus here. But he's able to see them when they're that far away. And he's able to tell that they're struggling as they enter the storm. Here's what Psalm 139 says about something like this. It says, uh, this is a psalmist talking about God the Father. He says, where shall I go to flee from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed shoal, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. I mean, here the psalmist is talking about God being wherever he is, that he can't flee or be separated from the presence of God. And what the disciples are learning is that Jesus is very much like his father in this. That even though they're far away physically, Jesus sees them and he's watching over them. I don't know if you recognize this. The, the, the miracle that we were going to read today, the sign that we were going to read today is Jesus walking on the water. 
And, and I guess sometimes I don't think about Jesus walking on the water as a rescue mission, but it, but it really, really was. Jesus knew they were in trouble. Uh, the disciples needed him. They had followed Jesus' direction into the storm. And now Jesus demonstrates his power. And his power is actually so great that it's terrifying. Okay, that, that's, we need to establish that. It's terrifying. The Gospel of John says in, in verse chapter 6, verse 19, which we read earlier, that the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They're in the storm. They're paddling. They're not making much progress. And that they were frightened. His, that kind of power is terrifying. A man walking on water, that's not supposed to happen. If you're, if you're hearing this, you're going, that sounds ridiculous. Because it is ridiculous. It denies the laws of physics. Uh, matter that a solid is not supposed to, to float upon water. Who could do such a thing? The Gospel of Matthew says that when they see Jesus, they actually think he's a ghost. <laughs> And Jesus calms their fears with his words. He says, it is I. Don't be afraid. Or another way of translating that might be, uh, I am. Don't be afraid. I am, as you know, is one of the great names of God. I am is the one who created the heavens and the earth. I am is the one who could calm the storm. And Jesus walks up to them and he says, I am. Do not be afraid. And what I want, us, want all of us to see about Jesus today is that Jesus watches over his disciples and he has the power not only to see them from afar, but then to walk on the water across the Sea of Galilee to calm the winds and the waves and the disciples would be awestruck. The, the Gospel of Matthew says that when Jesus got in the boat, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. No kidding. As I, as I preach the sermon, as you listen to the sermon, are our hearts drawn to the worship of Jesus? In conclusion, I, I just want to ask the same questions that we've kind of worked through the last several weeks. Uh, we've been asking ourselves as we study this book of signs, Every week we get to, to one of these signs, we study it, and we say, what is the sign? We're really clear about what the sign is, and then we say, what does the sign point to? Because what we've established, the first day we had street signs, and we said the, the job of a sign is to point to something. And so today I want to ask the same questions. What is the sign that we see of Jesus, and what does it point to? So the miraculous sign is that Jesus sees his disciples in distress of the storm while he's praying on the mountaintop miles away and that he comes to them in their distress, walking on water, of all things, and that he calms the storm. Like, like there's a lot of miraculous stuff going on here. It's not just the walking on the water. It's the omniscience to see them from afar. It's the ability to walk on water. It's the ability to control the winds and the waves. There is a lot going on here. And it's a pretty impressive sign. And so what does it point to? That's what we ask now. What are we supposed to learn about Jesus from this story? At the heart of the story, I want to suggest that it's an issue of faith. Right? It's an issue of faith. Following Christ uh, doesn't mean that you will not face headwinds in life. In fact, headwinds in life are inevitable. You will face winds and waves and storms in life. Maybe you're even 
following Jesus now and, and you're in the middle of a storm. I mean, th- that's, that's a real possibility. Maybe all this sheltering in place feels like a storm. Maybe you've been sick. It feels like a storm. Maybe you've lost your job and it feels like, listen, I, I, I thought Jesus was leading me this way. Uh, what is this storm now? And does Jesus even see me? This sign points to the fact that Jesus sees all. He sees you in every storm of your life. And what this means for you is that help is on the way, right? Help was on the way for the disciples long before they even knew it was. They they didn't know Jesus was headed for them until they saw him, but he had already headed out towards them. And the same is true for you. If you're in the storm right now, Jesus sees you and he is on the way. Uh, I guess the question for you now is, is, are you filled with darkness? Like, are you, are you like them? Uh, do you wonder, is there a way out? Uh, Christ is coming for you. Are you losing hope in the current storms of life? Well, well, don't be because Christ is coming for you. That's what this miracle, this sign of Jesus points to. Jesus is the son of God who sends his people out. Uh, who sees them in the storm. And listen, he doesn't just see them in the storm. Think about it this way. He ordains the storm. It may be hard to understand when you're actually going through it, but he does. Remember, he made them go. He pointed them in the direction of the storm. He knew it was coming. But when he sees them, he has great compassion and he has the power to walk upon the water and to stop and to calm the winds and the waves. So here's my question Do you believe that Jesus sees you in your storm and wants to come and deliver you? It's an issue of faith, like I said. So here's my challenge for you today. Go where Jesus points your boat. Maybe you're having to make a tough decision in life. Maybe you're trying to discern what you're supposed to do. Where is Jesus pointing you? Is it, is it time to switch jobs? Is it time to go out and find a new job? Are you, are you, are you trying to maybe make decisions about marriage or, or, or who to date? Where is God pointing your boat? Where is Christ sending you? Once you discern that, go. And don't be shocked when you encounter headwinds because that happens even when you're going where Jesus sends you. And, and, and don't lose hope when you're in the midst of the storm for Jesus sees you and he comes to rescue you. This is what the sign points to. This is the fifth sign we see in the book of John. Uh, Let's now have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for this story of Jesus and we stop uh, to worship him. He has shown himself to be the son of God, to do these miraculous things, to have this omniscience to see his disciples struggling in the storm, to know the storm was there and to come to rescue. Christ, we confess to you that you are our Lord and through all the storms of our lives. We trust you, whether it is best for our lives to experience the storm and to have to paddle against the waves, or whether you discern it's best for us to come and to stop the wind. In both those situations, you're sovereign. In both those situations, you're good. We trust you to point our boat. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the church said, amen. Church, we have been the church gathered. Go and be the church scattered. And as you do, point your boat in the direction that Christ would have you go and take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus, the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet again. God bless you.